Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast. It is good to be with you again this week as we finish up a sermon series that we call Our Calling Failing Boldly. And the staff has been nice enough to give us a sermon series that is tied into uh, the book, my book that just got released and is now on sale in all of your favorite online locations or uh, in Chicago. I'll say a little bit more at the end of the podcast about a book signing that we're going to be having here in the city. But first, let me read from the book of Acts. This Sunday, June 4th, is known in the church as Pentecost Sunday, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but it is typically uh, traditional to read the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is from Acts 2, verses 1 through 21. So here are these words. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in their own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. May God's blessing be on the hearing and the living out of this word. So when I preach this on Sunday, I'm going to be doing a kind of a children's sermon, which we don't usually do at Urban Village, but I'm going to bring the kids up and ask them what are things, activities that they participate in for which they need protection? And I would imagine and that people will talk about if they ride a bicycle and they wear a helmet or if they play a sport. So if you play soccer, you have shin guards. Uh, or if you are a catcher in baseball, you wear lots of different equipment. And so there are probably other things that I'm not remembering or thinking of, but I would imagine those are some of the things that they talk about for which they need protection. And then we grow out of those things, but then occasionally we probably feel like we need to wear something like a bicycle helmet or shin guards or a chest protector or something to protect ourselves when we go out into the world. 
So I want to talk about this as I reflect, as I noted on this final sermon for the Failing Boldly podcast, especially when we look at this passage about Pentecost and how some of this new movement, these new Christians, may have been feeling early on. They may have been feeling like they need some protection because there were certainly people who were mocking them, speaking ill of them, saying that this new movement wasn't serious. Certainly there were many, many people who doubted what they were saying about this resurrected Messiah. And so I wanted to reflect on this as it relates not only to those first Christians, but also for us today. When we have failed at a certain project or test or uh, work review, sometimes others let you know about it. And some do it productively, others not so much. Wouldn't it be great to put on a helmet or pads so that if that happens, when someone lets you know that you have failed, you can say, no big deal. However, no matter what happens, even when we do our best to arm ourselves, protect ourselves, we still fall down and it still hurts. And we see this in the passage from Acts. So I mentioned earlier that this is Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost Uh, is a Greek word that means 50th. For Christians, we measure it as 50 days or seven weeks after Easter or after the resurrection of Christ. The setting in the passage today from Acts is actually there was at the time a Jewish called a feast festival called the Jewish Feast of Weeks. Today it's called Shavuot. And it was originally celebrated, it was an agricultural festival that celebrated the spring harvest, the first fruits By the time we are in the Roman period, which is where we read the passage today, it was associated by various strands of Judaism within the covenant, associated with the religious history of the Hebrew people. Today, Shavuot celebrates the giving of the Torah to Moses and its acceptance by the Jews at Sinai. So that's a little bit of what's going on in this passage today. And then a little bit of background, too, about these first Christians, as you know, so this is the very beginning of Acts. Now, the author of Acts is also the author of Luke. So Luke has told the story about the resurrection and what has happened after that, immediately after that. So now we're about 50 days after the resurrection. And in Acts 1, we learn there are about 120 people who are gathered in this grouping, these people who are clinging, some more strongly than others, to this belief that the Messiah indeed has been resurrected. One of them, Judas, has betrayed them, and so they have elected Matthias to take Judas's place. So they're probably still a little shell-shocked, wondering what exactly we should be doing, wondering and trying to remember what did Jesus teach them. And maybe there was one of them who stood up, perhaps an organizer in the midst, who didn't like the slightly messiness of what was going on. I said, all right, we need, we need to get organized. We need respectability so that people take us seriously. We need to earn a little street cred. And then if that happened, we get the passage that we read today. For those who like order or systems, the first part of this passage from Acts may not be for you. There's talk of a rush of a violent wind, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. They're speaking in other languages. And so the more organized in their midst, were probably wondering what the heck is going on here. Notice from this passage the verbs. People are bewildered. They're amazed. They're astonished. 
The word amazed is used again, perplexed. And so when we get to verse 12, a really good question is brought up. What does all this mean? What is going on in our midst? And then comes verse 13. And this is the verse I particularly want to focus on today. It's usually not lifted up necessarily as a focus of this passage, but today I want to focus on this. Verse 13 said again, But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. So the others in this case are those who are not part of this 120. They are outside of this circle, and there's some judgment happening here. Maybe some are dearly hoping for failure, for this new grouping of people talking about the craziness of a resurrected Messiah, and so maybe they're trying to put the cloak of failure on them by saying they are filled with new wine. And in fact, some reading I was doing this week said that when they used the word new wine, it may have meant a phrase meaning, meaning potent wine, which was used by pagans. And so they are trying to not only say they're drunk, but they're using this kind of wine that only that the pagans use. So this verse 13 could be a real crux of this passage, and they may have some decisions that they needed to make, and also the same is true for us today. Have you ever been sneered at? Have you ever been part of something new and maybe feeling pretty good about it and wondering what's going on and excitement and the messiness of it, and yet that's still somewhat exhilarating and thrilling, and yet someone then sneers at you? And what you are going on here, I would imagine that there indeed is many of us who have felt that way. What's it like to be sneered at? There was one summer I worked, a few weeks ago I talked about a summer job that I had working at a Kids R Us. This is another summer job I had in college working for an explosives factory. I probably have talked about this at some point, a job that sounded a lot more dangerous than it really was. Uh, But I spent most of my days uh, making gel explosives. But sometimes we needed to go, there was a truck, a delivery, and so we needed to go and unload the truck and put it into storage. And uh, there was a guy who worked for this explosives company. His name was Chuck. He was an older guy, kind of crotchety, old school kind of worker. And he would always judge how we worked by how much we sweat. Chuck was a profusive sweater. And so for him, that meant the more I sweat, then the harder I work. Now, I don't know if I sweat less than the average person or about average for the whatever the normal person, whatever it is, I was not sweating enough for Chuck. So he would constantly comment, especially when we were loading these boxes, he would constantly comment on the fact that I wasn't sweating and the fact that that meant, therefore, I wasn't working very hard. So Chuck would often sneer at me and my lack of his perceive his perception of my lack of a work ethic. So whenever I think about people sneering at you, Chuck always jumps into mind. We could probably always think of somebody in our own minds who has sneered at us, either because of something that we have done or an idea that we have had. And being sneered at is something that doesn't feel good. So you can imagine when these group of people sneered at these new Christians. I don't know if they ignored it. There had to be at least a few who were kind of hurt by this. 
But also, before we go down that path of being those people who others sneer at, we also, if we're honest with ourselves, know that we have been in the other place too, that we have been the others in verse 13, that we have been the ones doing the sneering. Oh, it's so easy to join in the sneering sometimes when something new comes up, something that doesn't quite go with who we are, what we are about, and it's easy to jump on the sneering bandwagon too. So we have to be careful a bit before we pass judgment on the sneerers, before we ourselves put ourselves in their same shoes. But if you are in the uh, place of those who are being sneered at, what's happened, what happens is it's easy to retreat. If someone calls you a failure or puts that cloak of failure upon you, it's easy to then begin to withdraw and not continue on. And we see an example of someone who was able to get beyond that in Peter today. We know the story, perhaps, of Peter as the one who denied who Jesus was at the end of the Gospels. And out of that, however, he was rejuvenated. He was forgiven, and he has taken on leadership. So in Acts 1, he begins to share some of his own thoughts. And, and now, as he's beginning to essentially to get his sea legs as a follower of Jesus and the people who sneered at him, and he declines to retreat and to withdraw. Instead, he stands up and begins this really wonderful sermon talking about what has happened in their midst. So when someone sneers at you, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you withdraw, retreat, say, well, they're probably right. I'll just go into my own corner over here and maybe try to shut them out, and or maybe I'll stop what I'm doing because of those who are sneering in my midst? Or will you reflect and pay attention and see perhaps what new thing God might be doing in your midst, that you will take that one step forward like Peter did here and continue to speak and continue to explore. Even though people are sneering in our midst, God still might be doing something. So we want to pay attention to that and and step into and live into that. I was reading this week uh, about a church in Smyrna, Tennessee, and I started learning about this because I got an interesting uh, email a few weeks ago, and I'll tell you about that email in a second. But first, let me talk about this church in Smyrna, Tennessee. Smyrna is about 30 miles southeast of Nashville, and uh, it's called All Saints, All Saints Episcopal. And in the mid-2000s, as with many churches from many denominations, it was in the decline. Numbers were uh, going down, people were leaving, not many were joining the church. It's a story that many, many churches have heard over the last few decades. And in this particular church also, they went through something that many other churches have gone through, and that was a theological split. So in the Episcopal Church in the mid-2000s, there was... uh, a lot of debate about the issue of homosexuality. This is still true in many denominations, including mine, the United Methodist Church. What was happening in the mid-2000s is that some churches were splitting, and some who were more conservative would join uh, various kinds of Anglicans that were starting up in North America. So in this church in Smyrna, Tennessee, uh, they joined what was called the Convocation of Anglicans in North America. Some at All Saints, though, stayed to the point where there were about 20 left. They got a new rector named Michael Spurlock. And he was honest with them that it was not looking good for their future. 
and they can't survive like this. And the building was put up for sale and no doubt they were beginning to feel like failures. They were becoming one of the many statistics of churches that were just not relevant anymore, that just did not commit to their communities anymore, that just were not uh, a part of what the body of Christ should be all about. And so it can be really hard when your numbers are dwindling and you begin to hear whispers about the future and you begin to internalize that and you begin to think maybe we're not meant for this. And especially in this case, when there was a theological split and some people left, there was probably some sneering going on. saying they're not going to be able to survive. But then something else happened. A group of refugees showed up. Let me talk for a second about this group of recipes, refugees, and they're called the Karn. The Karn uh, was an, or is an ethnic minority group in Myanmar, also known as Burma, that were persecuted. And in fact, these refugees came to Tennessee, mainly from refugee camps in Thailand. They were forced out of Myanmar. And so there were about 135 refugees from Myanmar who were in these camps. But a group of them had come to Tennessee as uh, political refugees, and they were uh, in they were Christian. These particular refugees, and while there, they were Anglican. They're part of the Anglican Church in Myanmar, and so they started coming to All Saints. Uh, and then, when the theological split happened, they left with those who are the more conservative. But something stirred with them they're, when they were checking back with their uh, religious superiors in Myanmar. The superiors told them, you should go back to All Saints. And so they did. They returned to All Saints to see what was going to happen. This dying church that others were saying, this is a failed failed church. They're going to sell their building. But this group of refugees who were told themselves that you are failures, meaning that in Myanmar they were persecuted, told by the... Uh, authorities that you are failures, we don't want you here, and so they made their way to the United States. Certainly today, uh, there are many refugees who may feel that too because of the lack of a welcome that our administration is putting uh, before them here in the United States. But what happened was this group of refugees came came back to All Saints, and they approached the priest, Michael Spurlock, and said, what if we planted gardens on the property? Now, this church was on 22 acres of former farmland, so there was plenty of room for them to do this. And so as those members of All Saints began to reflect on this, and as the priest began walking around the church property, he realized that, indeed, God might have given them land for this purpose. So these two groups of people who were called failures in society came together. They began planting radishes, squash, cucumbers, chili peppers native to Myanmar, and the summer crop was a success, and they grew more than 20,000 pounds of produce. 10% of that went to the refugees while the rest was sold locally or donated to food pantries, and proceeds from the farm helped pay for the church's land and is beginning to fund other outreach projects. This is just one aspect of the church's ministry. There's now They're teaching English at a second language and life skills. And now there will be two services on a Sunday, one in English and one in the native language for those from Karn, these refugees. And now what has happened, these two groups of failure have come together. 
What's interesting, too, if I can make a side note about reading about this, is that this story is actually becoming a movie coming out this August, and that's how I found out about it. I was sent an email saying, come to this preview of this church. And interestingly, in watching some of the many, many documentaries of the, of the movie and the movie posters, just want to say a quick word about uh, how, anti, or how racism plays out in our country that may not be obvious, because I'm sure people will go to this movie and they will watch it and feel good about it and be insp- maybe be inspired by it, which is great. But it seems like in the movie, at least in the um, advertisements and marketing of the movie, they're really focusing on the priest uh, and on the white members of the church, when really it was the refugees who saved the day. They are the ones who came back to the church. They are the ones who had the idea of farming this land. So when you think about how does racism play out in very uh, small, perhaps unnoticeable ways, these are the kinds of things that we need to pay attention to. I don't think anybody intentionally did it this way, but I'm sure the people who are marketing the movie knew in order to sell this, we need to focus on the white people, not on the refugees. But out of this, I think we can find a Pentecost message. Those early Christians were sneered at. This group of 120 people wondering, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? They are drunk. They are filled with new wine. This will never happen for them. And now they are doing all these crazy things like talking in different languages and talking about flames of, uh, or tongues of flame and all of these other things. Who are these people? And yet it was out of this failed, seemingly failed group of people that a new movement was started. Here was this church, all saints, 20 people left in the church. They were about to sell the building. Certainly there were whispers all around them saying, oh, poor All Saints. They did their best, but ultimately they failed. This group of refugees who were kicked out of their own country, certainly they had heard from their home country, you are failures because you do not buy into and give obedience to the majority. And yet all of these people when they had a sense that the Spirit was working in their midst, did not retreat, did not withdraw, but instead looked to see what is the new thing that is happening here. And they leaned into it. And they put on their armor, and they put on their bicycle helmets, and they got back on again, like Peter did, like the Karin did, like all saints did. When others sneer at you in your own lives, it is easy to just go back and to withdraw and to retreat and let those who sneer have the last word. But let us use all of these Pentecost Holy Spirit examples of those who refuse to do so, but instead to stay open to what new, maybe even weird thing that God was doing in your midst and say yes to that and get back on the bike. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, I said earlier, uh, with regards to my book, I'm doing a book signing and reading for those who live in Chicago. It will be at Sandmeyer's Bookstore. This is in the Printer's Row 
uh, part of the South Loop. It's on Dearborn in between Polk and Harrison. And so this will be June 22nd at 6 p.m. So I hope for those who are in the area can join me for that. Uh, you can also, like I said, get it online in many different places and certainly would appreciate your support in that way. As I've been saying the last two weeks, I think I, I'm guessing this is maybe my third to last sermon podcast. And then I'm going to start the Feeling Boldly podcast through the Podbean channel, my personal Podbean channel. But you'll still be able to get my podcasts on the Urban Village Podbean page. So as I said, I think maybe um, either I'll have one more after today or maybe two more after today. But I'll sort of let you know next week. Uh, So, friends, thank you for listening. And may the Holy Spirit, the peace of Christ, be with you.